0: Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homerism podcast, part of Crimson and Cream Machine on the SB Nation network of podcasts. Uh, we haven't uh, had a ton of news, obviously, going on right now around the sport, given uh, everybody being, uh, you know, still kind of locked down and whatnot, but. Um, I wanted to go ahead and bring on a good friend of ours we haven't had a chance to talk to in a while David Ubben of The Athletic to talk a little bit about Tennessee one of the teams on uh, Oklahoma's uh, non-conference schedule this year assuming that uh, there will be a non-conference schedule this season so let's go ahead and bring him on David what's up man not much
1: thanks for having me it's a uh... Yeah, I've done some considering myself of whether or not I will be back at uh, Oklahoma Stadium. I haven't seen a game there since... I think it was the Ohio state game in 2015, uh, the not good Ohio state game. I'm not sure I've been back since then, but, uh, Oklahoma's had some good times since I've been there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, man. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you've been all around though, man. I and mean, when you start thinking about it, I mean, you know, you covered mm-hmm. OU for a while, then you covered a big kind of big 12 as a whole. And then Tennessee, what made you want to move over to, uh, covering, covering the Vols?
1: Um, so, you know, it's, um, I believed in the athletics mission uh, pretty early on and I uh, was freelancing for them in, in 2017. And then uh, after I took the Dave Campbell's Texas football job, um, they kind of called me back and um, we were talking about building out the team and talked about a bunch of different options and, and my wife's family is from this area and uh, Tennessee made some sense for us. And so, uh, um, you know, my wife had finished up seminary in Dallas and, uh, we were kind of looking to leave texas and it was the right job at the right time and uh it made a lot of sense it's been it's been fantastic it's the best job i have ever had and um it's been a really great uh, a great two years looking forward to you know forty something more
0: yeah absolutely man so i guess uh you've had some uh, kind of interesting times there uh, here's my question is uh is jeremy pruitt as kind of um unvarnished uh, in per- like, you know, in person and covering him as he seems to be kind of on TV. I mean, he seems to be just kind of a straight shooter, you know?
1: I think he, more or less, I, I think he is, uh, I think he's definitely a lot more uh, intelligent than I think he likes to give off. I think he, you know, I, I profiled him for, uh, you know, one of the first big projects that we did and talked to a bunch of people who know him really well. And and I think he uses that to his advantage. Um. I think people, you know, when when you use obviously poor English and you know you kind of talk slow and all these things, people make people make assumptions about you, and then of course those those prove to not not be true most of the time. I think he kind of likes that, um, and uh, I think it, 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 that sort of uh, his simple approach to things, I think, it definitely helps him when it's talking about families and, and dealing with recruiting. I mean, he's made his bones as a recruiter, and has kind of continued that at Tennessee. So. He's an interesting guy. Uh, he's again. I, I think you know, football coaches are not uh, not unlike uh, politicians in that when people get tired of one, they want the exact opposite <laughs> as soon right, as yeah. they uh, uh, bring someone else in. And I, I'm not sure you could find a coach that's more opposite from Butch Jones than, than Jeremy Pruitt. And so he already had that going for him before he, uh, you know, even coached a game. And and. Got a little rocky mid-season last year, but right now uh, his, his approval rating when you're riding a six-game win streak and you have a top-ten class and then parlay that into a class that's currently, what, number three and probably will be close to number five uh, by the time it's all said and done. You know, his approval rating is is probably as high as it's ever been, even higher than, uh, you know, right after he got hired and before he even coached the game. So uh, he's got that working for him right now.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned kind of that uh, that there was that six game win streak there to close the season. And, um, you know, that was a a big time turnaround from what we saw early in the year with losses to teams like Georgia State and BYU. Um, Were there any specific kind of keys to that that stretch run there? I mean, I I have to imagine part of it had to do with the schedule opening up a little bit. But, uh, you know, what did you see out of the team in that second half of the year?
1: It helps when you're not playing Georgia and Alabama
0: anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That
1: that definitely helps. Uh, but I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think defensively they just turned into a lockdown defense. Um, you know, on pretty much every defensive metric in the last six games of the year, they were playing like a top ten national defense. Like their numbers were on par with with Clemson and Alabama and all those schools. Um, obviously, it helps when you're playing. You know, Kentucky and Missouri and uh, you know who else were they playing? I think they played UAD. Um, all these other schools, you know, compared to uh, having to play, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Florida. But if you're doing that against anybody, you're doing something right. Uh, there's a reason why, you know, LSU is the only power five team with a longer winning streak than Tennessee right now. Um, so, and then on top of that, they fixed the turnover issues. You know, they, they stopped, stopped turning it over. You know, one of the reasons why they lost to Georgia State, they had a ton of really crucial turnovers. Uh, they did the same against BYU. And they, they had BYU on the ropes and obviously – uh, had a bus late and uh, lost that game in overtime. And, and that was – those kinds of mistakes were things that just did not happen uh, down the stretch. And, and there's something to be said, too, for, um, you know, some of the mental toughness that they showed. I mean, they got down in some games. Uh, they were able to kind of change the way that they played. I mean, you look at how they beat Mississippi State. They basically abandoned the passing game. And they threw the ball 40 times against uh, Missouri. Uh, they were kind of adjusted as needed. And then went down 13-0 uh, to Kentucky on the road. It looked like they were getting ready to get run off the field, and, and they sort of settled down, slowed down Lynn Bowden, and, and won that game. So uh, they did a lot of different things, but I think it comes down to just playing championship-level defense, uh, assignment football, and limiting turnovers. There was no sort of magic uh, uh, you know, elixir. It's just sort of they played really fundamentally strong football.
0: Right, yeah, a lot of meat and potatoes ball there down the stretch. Um, So I guess kind of looking at this team, uh, you know, they're bringing back you know a decent amount of production. I think really on both sides of the ball. Um, If you're if you were to pick out though, like the part of the defense, for example, that uh, really stands out, which which unit would it be?
1: Um, it's tough because I don't think there is one. I think Uh I don't know that there's a single position where they're going to be like. Otherworldly. I I think they got a chance to have some really good corners. Those guys had disappointing years last year Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor uh, for for different reasons. Uh, You know, Henry Toto is their best overall defender, but he's also like their only functional middle linebacker or inside linebacker. They have pretty much no one else around him that's ever played or really contributed. Uh, they they you know uh, had a couple guys transfer last year. Daniel Batuli left, and and Toto and Batuli were basically playing like 85 to 90 percent of the snaps. They were almost never coming off the field. They didn't have anybody behind them um, because they just didn't trust anyone else. Uh, and now that Batuli's gone to the NFL, they're sort of struggling to find who that second guy is. And then you have spring football canceled, and it's like oh. And then they didn't have any, you know, super stand- that standouts on the defensive line, but they really – that group grew up. When you look at them against Georgia State, they were getting pushed around. I think they gave up 300-something rushing yards against Georgia State. You're thinking this is going to be a long year for those guys. But they grew up in a hurry. Um, you know, Darrell Middleton had a, uh, a year that really progressed. And then, of course, they get Emmitt Gooden back. So you have a defensive line that brings back every single person in the meeting room last year. And then you add Emmitt Gooden, uh, who was their, you know, probably their best defensive lineman coming in uh, to the 2019 season before he tore his ACL and preseason camp. So, you know, they've got to figure out some things. at safety. You know, Jalen McCullough, uh, Trey Flowers, and-, and Theo Jackson, probably going to hold down that spot. Uh, Sean Chamber kind of moves around. He's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife for them. So I think that's – When I look at the defense as a whole, you know, coming into 2018, the first year of the Jerry Pereira, they had a ton of, like, weak spots. They were average in about half the spots, and they were major deficiencies at a bunch of other positions. Defensively, I don't know that I see anywhere where they're just lighting the world on fire, but they're, like, above average kind of everywhere, and then they just kind of find some depth at at inside linebacker. So there's nowhere that that anybody's going to turn on Tennessee and be like, wow, look at this guy. Uh, but they're pretty good everywhere, and if you can be pretty good and a pretty good athlete, and then you play assignment football, you got a chance to have a pretty good defense. I think that's kind of what's gonna see that right now.
0: Right now, you know, Oklahoma's gonna bring a uh, you know kind of high-powered offense. You know, especially within the passing attack, for example, uh, coming in there. How well kind of constructed do you feel like Tennessee is to handle a, an offense like that? It's tough to say. They haven't. Seen very many. Um,
1: the SEC is a little bit different. They did a really nice job on Alabama last year, um, and man, uh, they, they were slowing down Tua and those receivers. And then once Tua got hurt and uh, Matt Jones came in, they really locked down, um, and, and they were in that ball game until they had the sort of the goal line disaster that um, sort of ended the ball game. So it's tough to say, you know, they just there's not a lot of offenses in the SEC that look or uh, play uh, like. Uh, Oklahoma does, and with the level of talent. So it's tough to say. Uh, they'll obviously be the biggest test in this defense has faced probably since that Alabama game where they sort of acquitted themselves well, but Alabama was having quite a few issues. And of course, once, once two went out, they kind of were just sort of in just survival mode. So it's tough to say. I think that's a big question, and, and, uh, and to see how they'll handle that and, and what Spencer Rattler probably looks like. And that's uh, uh, sort of his first real test. It's going to be a fun game. Uh, you know, Tennessee will probably be a touchdown or so underdog, and uh, they'll have a lot to prove in that one. And, and it's going to be, uh, of course, the atmosphere. We'll see. We'll see what that looks like. It's going to be a weird game, provided that, that I am in attendance and Tennessee's football team is in attendance yeah. as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, looking at the other side of the ball. This is one area where there's kind of been a lot of stops and starts. You know, uh, looking at this team. Um, the quarterback position, it seems like uh, Jared Garantano will probably, you know, get the starting nod to start the year. Do you see there being a competition there?
1: I think it's up to Garantano, honestly. I think he, um, last year he was far and above the best guy in every practice. You heard that from coaches, you heard that from people behind the scenes. There just wasn't a competition. because um, he was the best guy, he was the most experienced guy. None of the other guys had played at all. Um, and then he played so poorly in games. and Was turning the ball over so much, missing wide open throws, um, making poor decisions, missing guys that were open, and just holding on to the ball. He didn't give the coaching staff a choice. They had to make another change, even though they didn't necessarily really buy into those guys. I think it's gonna be the same thing this year. It's his job, but you know, you just they didn't really know what they were gonna get last year. They were really con- the coaching staff was really confused as to why the Jarek panel that that had played in 2017 and 2018, his biggest strengths were he didn't make mistakes and he was really accurate. And then all of a sudden in 2019, he's making tons of mistakes and his his accuracy is all over the place. Blowing the ball into triple coverage. He just did stuff he he never did and kind of corrected it uh, down the back half of the season, but he still got benched in the bowl game, you know, when Tennessee was getting beat up by uh, uh, Indiana in the third quarter before they mounted a comeback. So, it's up to him. If he plays okay, he doesn't turn the ball over. He, he eliminates some of the big mistakes that marked um, that, that Georgia State game and, and obviously the Alabama game and uh, a few other situations. And then he's going to hold on to that job for a long time, I think. You know, at least the the, the season. But uh, if he doesn't, you know, that number two spot, obviously the fans want to see Harrison Bailey, uh, the five star that uh, from, from Marietta, Georgia, that everybody sort of. You know, screaming about that's uh, participated in a rousing two practices in his career at Tennessee, <laughs> and you still have folks that want to see him start. Um, and so, if you have to, want to see. I think Brian Mauer is probably the more likely guy to slide in there if uh, if uh, Garentano struggles. But you know, we'll see. A lot can happen in preseason camp. You know, maybe Harrison Bailey comes in there and sets things on fire. I have a hard time believing that there is a scenario that exists where Garentano is not the day one starter, and uh, you know provided they avoid disaster against charlotte the starter against oklahoma but you know if he throws a couple picks and they're down 17 nothing in norman i think you're probably going to see someone else come out there his leash is going to be much much shorter this year than it was last year in part because they they saw him struggle and i don't think they fully trust him but also you got quarterbacks on the roster now who have played Um, and so we'll see how that plays out you know as the season comes up but it's a complicated question, and the simplest answer is it's up to Jarek Garantano uh, in terms of what that quarterback position looks like this year.
0: Right, but looking at this, this team, I think the strength has got to be the offensive line, right? In theory, in theory. Uh, <laughs> uh, you haven't
1: seen those guys necessarily come together. I think so. Your potential there is off the charts. I mean, you're, you're starting an offensive line that probably has that minimum four pros, maybe five. Um, but the flip side of that is, you know, Wani e. Morris and, and, and Darnell Wright both kind of had, their, had some rough moments. Uh, you know, Wanye was the, pretty much the consistent starter at left tackle last year, but he was benched in the UAB game. He had some, some rough days, but obviously uh, an NFL body, a huge talent, but you're too fresh from the SEC. He had to kind of go through that. He's got to progress, which in theory he would, but we haven't seen it yet. Darnell Wright, he may not even necessarily start. He's in a battle with Karon Calvert. He didn't start nearly as consistently as Morris did last year, but of course Morris uh, enrolled in the spring, he had more time, right? Again, NFL type body, really a ton of potential, uh, but he can, uh, you know, he's got to, he's still got to prove it. You got two freshmen ta- or two sophomore tackles now that have, are loaded with potential, but you just, you kind of have to see it. And then of course, Cade Mays, you know, is probably going to step in there and start at Georgia. He's technically not still eligible. I Everything that I've been told is that he will be, but until he is, you know, you never know. And, and I I know better than to predict what the NCAA is going to do. Trey Smith, I mean, all world, everything. You'd like to think he's, you know, among the best offensive linemen in the country. But, uh, again, the blood clot issue, you, they think they've got a plan that can manage it and keep him healthy. Um, and, you know, that's, it worked last year. Does it work in 2020? You know, Tennessee obviously hopes so. And then Brandon Kennedy, a 6th year guy, he's held down that center spot last year. So he's had a ton of health issues. Last year was the first season, really, in his entire career that he was able to stay on the field and stay healthy. So if all those things fall the right way, yeah, Tennessee probably has one of the five or ten best offensive lines in the country. But every single one of those guys has a question. Do, do, those, do those sophomores develop? Can Trey Smith stay healthy? Does Cade Mays get eligible and is he as good as, as advertising? Can he step in? I mean, he's only practiced twice in Tennessee as well. You know, in theory, he's a plug-and-play guy, but you haven't seen it. And then his brain, can he stay healthy? So, like I said, is the offensive great? Or offensive line great? In theory, it should be, but you got to kind of do it, you know?
0: Right, right. Now, one thing that uh, does seem to be an issue for this team is looking at the uh, outside at the receiving positions. I mean, a lot of production's gone there. Um, you know, who are the weapons going to be this year?
1: I uh, again, I think it's TBD. You know, they brought in yeah. their their receiving core, uh, you know, group of uh, freshman receivers from the twenty twenty class. They're as good as anybody's in the country. Uh, they signed five guys. All those guys got potential. Josh Palmer is kind of the obvious. to to step into the number one role, but he's never done that. He's never really been double teamed. Um, And so without Juwan Jennings and Mark West Calloway, have held that down um, for most of the last two years. They've got to kind of figure out what their move is. And, you know, Cedric Tillman might come in there. Or, Keaton was a really highly rated guy. He was also a high school teammate of Harrison Bailey. I think he's got a good shot. I I think Keaton probably is the number two guy. You kind of know. You've got a number one guy in theory, Josh Palmer. You have a bunch of solid candidates as number two, and then you got a bunch of guys behind them trying to prove themselves. you got Bayless Jones as well. who so prior probably returned some kicks, a big speed guy coming in from USC. He wasn't really productive there. I think sometimes, you know, he gets the grad transfer bump that, you know, when he leaves, people are like, oh, well, he was, you know, this super recruit and, and all these things. And it's like, okay, well – Maybe he busts out, but it's a little bit unrealistic to put tons of expectation on him. Um, so they've got they got a receiver. They've got some bodies. They've just got a bunch of guys who, who need to kind of prove it, and and we'll see. I think they'll probably find enough. I, I don't think you're going to see receiver be um, a real weakness because they've got some guys there that I think have some potential, and surely one or two of those guys hit. But, again, it's it's a pretty unpredictable deal.
0: Right. Now, I guess, you know, kind of – closing up here uh, you know you're an SEC country what's the talk with I mean do you, do you get a sense that anybody has any kind of plan for what the season might actually look like I mean is is all the talk just we're going to go forward full speed right now or I mean what have you heard anything there kind of you know any rumblings about that?
1: I think they're going to try and just push through and, and get through it as best they can. I think you'll probably see some forfeits this year, especially if they just keep playing in the fall. Um, but I think they're just going to try to make it work and see how it goes. And uh, I think, you know, the weird thing for me is we're sitting here in late June, almost July, and there, there's not really, you know, in, in, unless you're talking about governors, I don't know that there's anyone that can stop them from playing. You can certainly stop them from. Uh, having fans, but I, I don't know if somebody can gonna stop them from playing. And if you do, obviously, you know, I, I'm, you know, you're the governor that that demanded they stop playing college football. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, the NCAA step in at some point. It, it's tough. It's gonna be It's gonna be tough for the NCAA to say something unilaterally because it's so different in every state and every city. Um, and so, honestly, I just think they're gonna try to make it work and push it through. And it's gonna be different from week to week. And you might see some Thursday afternoon forfeits. But I think, you know, seems teams have enough guys that can play, I, I think they're going to play because we haven't seen, well, if you have 20 guys that are in quarantine, you're going to force it. If you have, you know, 30 guys, you know, you're just not going to bother. We haven't seen anything like that. I think if you've got enough bodies to suit up, I, I think they're going to try and suit up and play.
0: Yeah, I mean, the money that they'd be giving up is just so is so significant. But, uh, I mean, Gosh, yeah. I just you know you look at it though, and you know what happens if, for example, a player tests positive on Monday? Like, does that mean that the team that mm-hmm. they just played the weekend before has to send guys into quarantine? Like, I, I man, Good I questions. <laughs> I mean, like that to me is, I, I just don't know how they're going to manage it. So I'm I'm going to be interested to see what they come up with. But uh, awesome. Well, are you working on any like uh, you know kind of off season projects or anything like that uh, right now?
1: All right. All right. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. All right. Cool, man. Well, uh, David, I hope that we get to see you in Norman uh, come September, man. Me too. Me too.
1: I'm looking forward
0: to it. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, David. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it.
0: All right. Thanks to David Owen of the Athletic covering Tennessee there for joining us today to help us preview the uh, Vols' upcoming season. Uh, they take on Oklahoma in Week Two of the uh, 2020 campaign. Thanks to you all for joining us too for the Blatant homers and podcast. I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.